Welcome to Utopian Horizons. Hello and welcome to Utopian Horizons, a podcast where I cover a different utopia, dystopia, utopian thinker or movement in each episode. Today's episode will be about the video game Grand Theft Auto V. If you play video games, you will have heard of it. If you don't play video games, you still probably would have heard of it through the various um, controversies that, that pop up in the media whenever one of these, um, whenever an entry in the Grand Theft Auto series is released. Uh, it might not be the most obvious um, thing to cover on this podcast. Um, there are far more obvious dystopias and utopias that um, could be talked about, but um, there are uh, there are reasons that um, that this is this is worth covering and thinking about from a perspective of dystopia or, or utopianism. And um, you'll hear why when I get into. My conversation with my guest, who is John Bales. He's recently written a a book called Ideology in the Virtual City, Video Games, Power Fantasies and Neoliberalism. Um Grand Theft Auto is one of the games he talks about in the book, and he and he talks about and he talks in the book a bit about the kind of utopian um element or potential element in these games. He talks a lot about ideology. Um you'll hear when when we get into that conversation as to why um, this game can be thought about uh, through the kind of lens of dystopia. Obviously, a huge, huge kind of cultural, uh, pop cultural phenomenon as well, which uh, makes it particularly uh, useful looking at how ideology is kind of reflected through it as well. So, according to some analyst, Grand Theft Auto uh, 5 has made. Uh, more money than any other form of media in history. Uh, so it sold something like 90 million and made like $6 billion uh, in revenue. So yeah, a huge pop cultural product. And as I said, that makes it worthwhile looking at how ideologies uh, are reflected for it. This is actually the... Uh, sorry, this, should have, this episode should have come out a lot earlier. I actually... Uh, had already recorded this episode and the audio was messed up so when I went to edit it I found out yeah it was no good and uh, yeah thankfully John was um, kind enough to do the interview again so this is my second attempt uh, at releasing this episode. Just before we get into it I want to say thank you for everybody who's is helping by supporting me on Patreon. If you would like to do that too you can go to patreon.com slash horizons. And if you, you sign up on there, you can get access to a bunch of um, bonus episodes that uh, I've, I've released um, and continue to release regularly. You may have recently heard the um, couple of episodes I've done on economic science fictions on the on the main feed. Um, I've just started reading the, the second chapter, which is going to be the, the next Patreon episode. So if you want to, to continue on with that, then head over to Patreon. So um, yeah, that's there if you're interested in, and thanks to all of you who are, who are supporting me to help me keep doing this on there it's really really appreciated so um i feel like i've mentioned may have mentioned more in this when i recorded this intro the last time i tried to do this episode but if there was stuff i meant to say i've forgotten it now so um i'll just leave you now with my conversation with john joining me now is john bales 
He is a author of a, a recent book called Ideology and the Virtual City, Video Games, Power Fantasies and Neoliberalism. Thank you very much for joining me, John. Okay, well, thanks for having me on to be here. Uh, yeah, th- thank you very much, actually, for joining me for the second time. Because, mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, just a, a bit of, just for, for people to know, we've actually already recorded this interview, but um, technical problems uh, on my end kind of uh, destroyed the audio. So John's very kindly agreed to uh, to, to give us another shot. So, yeah. yeah. Cheers for just, I just hope this is the better take. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so... Um, John has come on to talk to me about Grand Theft Auto V. That's one of the games that he covers in that aforementioned book. Um, I'm sure most of the people listening have have heard of Grand Theft Auto. Um, Just very briefly, if you don't know much about it, it's um, a video game that's set in uh, an open world where you're pretty much free to go wherever you want. And you can uh, jump into cars, steal cars, run around causing chaos, uh, if you so please. And there's also people uh, around the the city who you can go to to get um, missions and they'll give you, you jobs to, to go and do and complete. Um, that's kind of a very basic um, overview of, of what the game is. Um, so to, to start off, could you um, tell us um, a bit about your book, just because the way we're going to be talking about this game, I think that'll provide some some context of how we're going to be talking about uh, about this game. So, what what you're exploring in the in the book, and um, and could you tell us like what your kind of broad contention is about the significance of of ideology or neoliberalism? Because again, that's important to how you how you're thinking about this game as well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I mean, my my background, just briefly, is in you know, my academic background in uh, theories of ideology. So um, especially kind of Marxist theories and uh, psychoanalytic theories. Um, so it's it comes from that background, but analysing ideology through video games in this case. Um, so I really set out uh, kind of the idea of a kind of background ideology in modern societies which is a form of neoliberalism um, a cultural version of neoliberalism obviously neoliberalism is a an economic um, idea mm-hmm. to begin with but this is its kind of cultural expression which comes through in things like the idea of individualism uh, competitiveness and personal responsibility for your your conditions um, you know there's rather than society having any sort of bearing on your conditions. It's all down to you to, to sort things out. And the kind of competing demands that we have to deal with um, in everyday life, such as, you know, having to work harder, but also being sort of expected to enjoy consumer pleasures, you know, accumulate property, have plenty of time, quality time with families and stay healthy. Um, remember to participate politically and so on mm-hmm. uh, by voting. So it's, the idea of neoliberalism, cultural neoliberalism or ideological neoliberalism as this kind of background pressure on us to excel in all areas of life and make us feel responsible and guilty if we fall short of these kind of impossible uh, demands. Um, so that's really sort of the point that I'm starting from in terms of how I'm thinking of ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how do different people respond to that 
uh, expectation or demand? And how do we internalize those demands? How do we prioritize the different things uh, that we're expected to do? And I've looked at these four games in the book as different interpretations of this neoliberal demand, uh, which respond to it in different ways. So each one has uh, represents a different kind of ideolo ideological position in itself, which um, has you know represents certain beliefs and values and so on. And I just I'm just trying to show how there are different interpretations of this kind of background ideology. Uh, which create their own kind of ideological positions. And yeah, Grand Theft Auto is, is one of those, Grand Theft Auto 5 in this case, is one of those in the book. Okay, cool. And <clears throat> I think it's um, important as well, this is something that you make clear in the book, when we're thinking about um, neoliberalism and ideology more, more broadly, um, people might think of ideology as something like very explicit, like they may, might think of um, a communist party um, producing, talking about what communism is, and it's very obvious that they're communists and they have a certain and they have a certain ideological position. What's really important about the kind of effectiveness of neoliberalism, right, is that you don't kind of um, see it in operation as ideology. Does that make sense? What I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I mean, it is an ideology, but yeah, not in the sense you would necessarily think. It doesn't have like a, a set of commands or a set of beliefs that are kind of explicit, you know, telling you you should behave like this. What it does, in fact, it sort of has this idea of you know you're free to behave how you want, um, but it has these expectations. You know, you're free to behave how you want within the confines of you know, the work-leisure cycle of capitalism, if you want. I mean, that's the actual, the freedom is the freedom to accumulate property mm. and, you know, the freedom of free markets and so on. That's the sort of unspoken part of it. And that's kind of the ideological part of it, in a sense. Um, so, yeah, it's not it's not a dogma. It's not dogmatic like you would think of, you know, like a religious ideology or something like that. It's like this kind of background of pressures. That's how I'm thinking of it, which is ultimately still working like a dominant ideology, but it's it's not in that kind of explicit way. And there's no sort of particular embodiment like the church or the state, which you know represents this kind of authority figure or anything like that. It's more pervasive and just spread throughout society. Yeah, I have a, a I've been kind of working my way through um, Mark Fisher's capitalist realism on the <clears throat> and Patreon feed for the podcast, and he has a nice phrase where he, he calls it like a, a pervasive atmosphere which i think is kind yeah. of mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. fits in with exactly what you're saying um yeah and it, it kind of the idea is that when you come to for example like make a choice about something your your the, the the kind of options available to you are already kind of predetermined by the way we're thinking within this ideology without you kind of even realizing it um yeah. of course it's important mm -hmm. to the, the the kind of People, important to neoliberalism of course is when the people who are kind of proponents of it i guess is is they explicitly define themselves as like not having an ideology that's the whole point of like it's not any any choice of it. it's not a political thing it's just like mm -hmm. uh you know how things operate like according to like laws natural laws almost natural laws of economy um that, yeah mm -hmm. that, um, don't exist because in a way it it can define itself against the old ideologies, you know, like uh, mm. socialism, mm. conservatism, 
even liberalism and so on, it can sort of define itself against them, saying, oh, we're past those kind of political positions. This is now all yeah. about just, you know, managing and, you know, pragmatism and, and so on, you know. Um, but, it, you know, it still has it still has particular uh, sort of base beliefs and ideas. You know, it still has an idea. It's belief in the market, for example, as the thing that can kind of regulate everything. Well, that's an ideological belief in the end. Yeah, you know? that's true. It yeah. can be questioned. It is contestable. Um, you know, it's not some absolute thing. And yeah, any ideology, of course, will always try to present itself as a kind of universal thing rather than a particular thing. Yeah. You know, it's always yeah. going to say, yes, this is the way of the world and, yeah, we're not ideological. Everyone else is ideological. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's almost like the sure sign of an ideology if it's saying it isn't an ideology. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, so that's sort of how it works really. And, you know, things like the idea that, you know, even like that there, there is no alternative, which is a famous kind of neoliberal phrase, isn't it? Yeah. You know, spoken by, is it Margaret Thatcher? You know, there is no alternative. Um, I mean, that's, you know, that's ideological. You know, it's, um, yeah. it's a claim to truth which can be contested, you know, and it has political effects. Because it affects how we think of what is politically possible. Absolutely, sure. Okay, let's um, move on to talking about uh, GTA Five. Then um, I wanted to start by touching on why we might be able to to think of GTA Five as being uh, dystopian or representing a dystopia. Because there's more kind of obviously uh, obvious examples of dystopia. We could you know talk about like some you know Brave New World or something. You know, like an explicit mm-hmm. sci-fi thing. Whereas um, this is presented, at least in part, as being just you know current reality being being represented in a slightly exaggerated way. So, yeah, I just wanted to to to, to uh, ask you. I mean, do you, do you think we can think of this as being a, a kind of dystopia in some way? And maybe you could, in touching on that, maybe you could explain a bit about what the city is like, just for people who haven't played uh, the game. Yeah, I mean, I think it is, well, it's, you know, it's set in the present day. It's, it's supposed to be a representation of uh, the present day, um, well, sort of California, Los Angeles and California area of America, uh, you know, the West Coast. But it's a, it's a very exaggerated version of reality, um, you know, deliberately so. And, yeah, I mean, the way it comes across is, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of a very aggressive atmosphere i suppose i would say you know this city you walk around this city you know everyone is it seems like against everyone else you know and in the book i define it as a a, a city as a battleground in a way you know Mm -hmm. if you you're walking past someone in the streets uh if you brush past them they'll shout obscenities at you or whatever uh you can't have a nice conversation with them or something like that um you know the main way of getting around you know famously as the title suggests, you know, you you steal cars, you know, you go into the street, you stop a car, you pull the own, the driver out of the car and you drive off in it. And that's how you, that's kind of the, the primary way of getting around for a lot of the game. Um, just mm-hmm. taking different vehicles and, and driving, you know, like a maniac, really, you know, if you can run people over or whatever. Uh, I mean, the police will, you know, that will catch the attention of the police and then you have part of the game is trying to escape their attention. Um, but other than that, it's just kind of like this kind of dog eat dog war zone, really. So in that sense, it feels quite dystopian, I would say. Um, it's kind of, yeah, this kind of nightmare version of neoliberalism, you know, where everyone has really kind of internalized the individualism and the competitiveness to the 
extreme degree when to the point where everyone is just you know interested in their own what they need you know their own uh, enrichment mm -hmm. and so on and their own desires their own consumerist uh, wants and so on you know um there's no sense of society in the game at all you know the mm -hmm. the only kind of institution is the police in a way this you know yeah. law which which turns up and you know follows you and tries to arrest you if you when you're doing crimes but other than that yeah there's no sense of society there's no sense of any kind of institutional organization uh you know everyone is either a victim or a bully um you know unless they're you know some of the people that provide the consumer services that you can buy in the game you know um and yeah and that's that's it everyone's just kind of self-centered in their own world um and so i think in that sense it is a dystopian version of of the present i would say yeah and even even with even when like the people in the city are not being overtly aggressive in terms of like shouting at you or attacking you or whatever they're still kind of shouting about whatever their thing is that they're interested in yeah that's like, right yeah. whether they're like i don't know um whether they're like obsessed with exercise or something or they're some like hipster or a celebrity or something they're still out there like projecting aggressively like projecting their kind of self yeah a lot of the kind of the side missions you can take on you know not the kind of key kind of crime missions but they're just yeah you're, you're meeting people and they just sort of seem to be kind of yeah just just shouting about what they want and what they're thinking as if your presence is it you know you're there but you're not like an actual person who they need to actually converse with you know there's that sense that yeah you meet someone who's like obsessed with exercise and you end up having a kind of running race with them or something a jogging race with them uh, and they're just kind of shouting all the time and yeah and that's the kind of sense you get from it you know it's just and it's always just you know no one ever sort of is interested in what the other person might want they're always yeah it's always outward from their internal ideas what they need and what they are just projecting it outward yeah. as you say and uh, so yeah i mean having having kind of uh, established that we, we can think of this uh as dystopian in in, in some way um, at least as a, as a satire, which I think is a kind of cousin of, of dystopia, functions in a, in a similar way in terms of critique and so on. What's what what's really significant that that you you identify in the book is even though this is clearly meant to be like a, a negative representation or, or some kind of dystopic representation, you, you point out that at the same time GTA Five doesn't really present this as a dystopian how do i say this it is presented it's presented uh, negatively but it also it's just kind of reality yeah mm -hmm. as we think of dystopia the idea of dystopia as being like to critique uh mm -hmm. reality and to suggest that it is uh that the there's there's a social system we have is inadequate or going in a, a negative direction and we need to address that in some way that's not what's coming across here right yeah i mean yeah it's not like a warning that oh yeah you know, this is how things it's more like you know although it's an exaggeration it is kind of saying this is the way things already are and that's just the way it is i think you know i don't think there's any sense of an alternative mm. that there could be a different way of doing things and you know the characters you play in the game are you know, in all the Grand Theft Auto games are, are criminals. That's that's the kind of 
the hook of the game, you know, and you often start out as a low-level criminal and work your way up, and by the end of the game, you know, you've got all kinds of property and, um, you know, you're involved in all sorts of rackets and so on. Um, so really, it's just a kind of you're trying to make the best of a bad situation is really all it can say. Um, you know, it doesn't have a better alternative to offer. You know, it's like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, if you you can exploit this situation even, you know, the, all this selfishness, competitiveness, um, you can exploit it to try and make the most of it. And that's the best you can do. Mm. Or, you know, the opposite alternative is to become a victim of this system. You know, so either you become a victim or you become one of the abusers in a way. Yeah. So this this ties into to one of the, the kind of um, main thrusts of what you've been talking about with this game, which is that this is kind of a, a, a prime example of how cynicism works uh, within ideology, right? Mm-hmm. So could, could you maybe talk about how, yeah, how cynicism how cynicism appears in this game and and why that's kind of significant as just how cynicism works within ideology? Yeah, I mean, yeah, in cynicism as a part of ideology theory you know it's um been well established i think for you know possibly the last 30 years or so um there's a well-known book by peter slotterdyke called uh critique of cynical reason which is from i think the late 1980s um and he talks about cynicism as basically a kind of well an almost an alternative to ideology in a way it's in the sense that people know what's going on they understand what's wrong with society you know, they can see the corruption of it, um, but they choose to just go along with it anyway. Um, mm. It's, um, you know, they can mock it, they can um, criticize it, but they still go along with it. And it's what he calls um, an enlightened false consciousness. You know, they, they, they understand and yet they still act as if they don't. And this then is taken up by Slavoj Žižek famously um, in the phrase, you know, I know, but never, nevertheless, which is, what he calls ideological disavowal, where, yes, I understand what's going on, but nevertheless, I keep doing it because, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, so this is how cynicism works, kind of, you know, I don't know if you could call it an, an ideology, but it functions like an ideology, certainly. And it's a way of basically continuing to do the things that you know are wrong and uh, justifying it at the same time. Um, mm. And I think... You know, it's often based on excuses such as, well, everyone else is doing it. You know, there is no alternative again, famously. Um, if we try to change things, they'd only get worse. Or, you know, human, this is just the way human nature is. There's nothing we can do about it kind of thing. It's that kind of resigned pessimism that's at the core of it. Um, so the, the classic thing of, like, we all know and joke about how politicians are corrupt. Mm-hmm. But politicians just are corrupt, so yeah, we, we just we don't like have some kind of revolution to like get rid of the corrupt politicians or anything like that, or even try to mm. uh, any kind of. It's just well, that's what politicians are. I am aware of it. Yeah, I mean, you can see it right now in the in the British election campaign. You know, you have someone like uh, Jeremy Corbyn who actually doesn't really have much of a history of corruption at all. You know, but because there's this idea that politicians are corrupt, when someone like that comes out and tells you, well, actually, I can change things for the better, I can do this, this, and this, everyone's going, oh, well, he's bound to be lying, you know, all politicians are corrupt, there's no point voting for it, kind of thing. 
Um, you know, so even when someone does seem to have some kind of integrity, they're still dismissed as corrupt because it's accepted at this point that that's what politicians are and that's just the way it is. And there's nothing you can do about it. So um, how does cynicism affect like how the characters behave like, in the in the game? Like, how do they how do they how does it how does this show us a, a cynic acting? Like, how, how does this affect their behavior? Yeah. Okay. So I think you know it's represented by the the three main characters that you play in the game: um, Franklin, Michael, and Trevor. Their names are well, particularly Franklin and Michael. Um, Trevor's just a bit more of a sort of maniac um, psychopath, which is you know uh, interesting in a sense in a different way but um yeah particularly the first two characters they sort of really represent this kind of uh, cynicism so i think you know they're the ones who seem able to view the world as it is they can understand how crazy it all is um how stupid everything is how ridiculous everything is and that's kind of they also that gives you that point of view as well so you're looking at the world from their perspective as this you know how ridiculous this uh kind of form of you know complete individualistic capitalism is um but you know what do they try and do well they are career criminals they try to succeed in this world by taking advantage of this craziness as much as possible um and none of them at any point really think about any kind of alternative any time any kind of attempt to escape this um you know, and, you know, because, I mean, in a game, of course, when you're playing a game, there really is no alternative. You really do either play by the rules of the game, in the systems it's created, or you stop playing, you know, unlike uh, real life where, well, you know, if we don't like the system, well, maybe we can. There is politics. We can mm. try to change it, at least think about trying to change it, even if it seems impossible. In a game, it is literally impossible. So it literally embodies this there is no alternative um, kind of mantra. Um, and, you know, the characters in the game use their insight, I think, to gain an advantage within this corrupt and chaotic system. Um, they actually, because they're not sort of blinkered by, you know, kind of singular desires or whatever, they're actually able to participate even more efficiently than everyone else. Um, they become, in a sense, the ideal subjects of this system because they're the ones who can exploit and abuse and and twist everything to their advantage because they have this understanding of what it really is you know um and i think this is an important point with cynicism as a kind of ideological position um you know some of the sort of most successful people in a society are the ones who understand how corrupt and chaotic it is and actually use that to their advantage uh, yeah. And and enjoy doing it as well. And I think you know that's the kind of ideological aspect of it in a way is how people they're acting in this way. They're they're enjoying the fruits of a criminal career or whatever, and enjoying it whilst being able to say that they're only doing it because there's no alternative or whatever. Yeah, you've already you've already kind of touched on this a bit, but I think it's really significant how how um, prevalent. It is in our contemporary politics when you you look at how um, it's employed by um, it's employed often by the the right as a way of um, just insisting on them being realistic 
like the things the things we want to do are um simply a result of our being seeing the world as it is and and being real about it yeah. and responding to that um also very useful for people um who who might think of themselves as uh, as, as centrists who claim to support progressive ideals but are always able to undermine them by by tapping into this exact same mm. idea of well these things would would of course be fantastic but we have to temper our demands based on the way things are based on reality yeah i mean yeah i don't think that's like you know that's probably a little different from this kind of full cynicism in the sense that there is still some concept that things could be better yeah 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 in, sure. a, kind of, in, yeah. A, in a centrist yeah. position you know it's not completely resigned to the way things are um but it wants to remain within that system it's actually wants to re- you know it's reformism it wants to reform what there is it thinks it, some of that corruption can be ironed out um but it yeah it doesn't want to think beyond that it won't think any any further uh, than that about you know whether the system itself is a problem although i would i would suggest sometimes there there's also a kind of cynicism where they suggest that things could be better because they're trying to harness the the kind of progress they're, they're trying to um play to to both sides and attempt to win power whether they yeah i mean yeah. i i think you I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying that there is mm-hmm. a kind of cynicism whether it's a, a genuine attempt at reformism there but I, I also think often it is a, a pure cynicism of um these are the things i'm going to say to uh oh, get well, power yeah. and i can use this cynicism to justify my position if you see what i mean yeah i mean yeah there's always you know people can always use sort of any ideology um insincerely of course yeah. to, to try and yeah get power or whatever mm. but yeah um we're, we're seeing it here as you say like these for these for these um characters this is uh yeah like the, the ultimate expression of embracing cynicism and using it to game the system but at the same time that makes you completely a part of it because you you you're just embracing it as it as it is um so obviously that's quite a problematic way of thinking about um ideology and and society and everything but i wanted to touch on i mean you you did talk about uh in the book ways in which you see gta having having some uh useful kind of critique of capitalism within that cynicism as well yeah um yeah i mean i think you know this grand theft auto particularly is i mean it came out in i think 2013 so i I think it's really was made the bulk of it certainly was made post uh kind of financial crisis um and i think more than previous gtas which follow a similar formula and have are similarly uh cynical um but more than that i think it's you know it's a reaction to that um sort of kind of failure of the the system at that point um it's probably even more pessimistic about capitalism than any other uh previous grand theft auto game Mm -hmm. um you know it's it's you know it might not have an alternative but it's very clear that this system is bad you know that there's something very wrong here you know it's created this individualism this extreme competitiveness i think that comes through you know and it's you know it is there um, and I think, you know, there has always been an interesting critical aspect in Grand Theft Auto games, which is they use, you know, your role in the game as a criminal um, and they kind of show that in relation to supposedly legitimate businesses and show how they're basically, they're the same in a way. Um, 
it's you know it's a way to reveal the kind of hypocrisy of the system the hypocrisy of real corporations you know how corporations function in the way that they're actually very similar to the way the criminals function mm. um you know it's given uh, as an example of a as a social media company in the game called life invader which is clearly supposed to be something like facebook yeah. um yeah. you know which sort of and there's a scene where the kind of the owner again this kind of zuckerberg character or whatever the equivalent um you know is talking to his adoring fans about how they exploit workers and everyone's cheering and it's you know that's all supposedly fine because they're a legitimate business um you know and so gta is quite good at showing how well you know they're just as bad as the criminals um and makes the criminal a kind of anti-hero um you know at least the criminal is kind of honest about what he's doing at least he's honest about his corruption and his exploitation and so on you know he's not hiding behind a a veil of legitimacy so yeah i think that's the one area where i think that uh, grand theft auto games do have a kind of interesting point to make yeah yeah you had a you had a specific quote in there as well where you um so one of the, the characters is kind of talking to uh, i think it's michael talking to Ch- trevor mm-hmm. about you know becoming a criminal and he's talking about you know you screw over everybody that you love kill indiscriminately etc etc if you're lucky you become a free bit gangster it's bullshit go to college then you can rip people off and get paid for it it's called capitalism so yeah, yeah. it's explicit there that like these two things are the, are the, are the same um yeah, so, mm-hmm. yeah and they're very aware that it's capitalism in a way that that's at the heart of the problem i suppose but they just don't think they can do anything about it yeah uh, and also, yeah, I, I guess also it's quite common for games to kind of um, make gestures towards these kind of critiques without naming capitalism ever. So at least, yeah, it, true, at least yeah, yeah. it does. At least it does that. Like it's explicitly. Yeah, it does. It goes further than a lot of things, which you know, where you'll have a you know a particular corporation or a particular billionaire will be the problem. You know, but it's here at least it does show that this is everywhere. This is. Yeah, yeah, it's not the individ- the bad individual corporation, it's systemic. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, uh, so having talked about GTA's satire, I guess, uh, I think it's important to, to touch on the way that, um, uh, to think about maybe why it's not often not effective as satire, why it, we can think of it as quite a, a cowardly satire, because it doesn't really, GTA satire doesn't really um, leave you coming away with the idea that it has some kind of position, right? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's. Um, I mean, well, Grand Theft Auto games, they're always kind of... Uh, they feel like a kind of... They, 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 refer, they refer to all sorts of other um, media and real-life events. You know, you can see these kind of um, pastiches of various films or... Um, or sort of homages, if you prefer, <laughs> films and TV shows, and I don't know, and you know, political figures in America, um, you know, real events, real life events. They kind of, you know, they kind of uh, mimic these in various ways. They take all these references. The whole game, when you look at it, can look like this kind of collage of of references. Um, but I think what they do when they're taking all these different things, they sort of remove any kind of sense of depth or any kind of political element from it. You know, it's um, it's what, you know, if uh, looking at um, Frederick Jameson's concept of postmodernism, it's, it's pastiche rather than parody. It's just a collection of different images rather than something that links together to create an overall 
like critique or message that has any real consistency. Um, and I think it's a lot of it is to do with what Grand Theft Auto is, which is, you know, it is in the end a huge corporate product. Um, you know, it might be criticizing corporate America or whatever, but it, it's part of that itself. Um, mm. And it has a huge audience of, you know, mostly young male and media savvy people who it wants to appeal to. It wants to keep that broad appeal. You know, this game sells more than probably any other game, or near enough anyway. And so, yeah, so I think everything is carefully aimed to be a, a reference that the this audience will connect with, will understand, um, but without actually alienating any part of this audience, whether they're more right-wing, left-wing, or whatever. So they're trying to sort of, in a way, have their cake and eat it too, you know, just try and keep everyone on board, just connect to all these, you know, films, TV shows that we all recognise that are kind of fashionable without actually taking a stance, without actually um, having any of their politics in them. Um, It's very very careful to make sure that... So, um, and and again, for people who who are listening who who might not have played it, might not be aware, it makes sure that... So it, it kind of partly plays on this reputation of you know nothing's sacred and it'll go after anything, but yeah. also it makes sure that it goes after everybody so that there's no position that can be. So you know it goes after conservatives, it goes after liberals or you know, hippies, left wing like Alex Jones kind of type mm-hmm. um, people. So it, it makes sure that it it um, covers the whole gamut of political spectrum so that it can't be seen to be specifically attacking you or like have a, a political position of its own. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it kind of removes, like I say, it kind of removes the politics out of everything, um, you know, so it can take the piss, but without actually taking a stance, as we've said, you know, I mean, if you look at a couple of examples in it, I mean, I think one interesting example is not from this game. It's actually from a, an older Grand Theft Auto game, Grand Theft Auto San, San Andreas, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the, perfect example and it's it's set in the early 90s it's kind of a lot of um homage to uh films like boys in the hood where you play like a young black character from from a from a ghetto um you know getting involved in gang activities and so on um and the game the end of the game actually ends in you know a version of the la riots you know it's a it's clearly referencing the actual la riots that took place in uh, in 1992, which sparked off after the, you know, the famous, the infamous, um, you know, Rodney King assault trial, where the the white police officers were uh, not convicted, you know, were found not guilty of beating Rodney King. Um, mm-hmm. In the game, the kind of the catalyst for the riot again, it's a corrupt cop um, who I don't know, I can't remember exactly what he does now. But the thing about this is, you know, it's just this individual cop who is corrupt. And he's also black himself, the cop. So, you know, and the riot seems to be sparked not by this kind of overall tension, uh, which in which, you know, the, the, the court case is the last straw, but mm-hmm. just this one singular event, as if this one singular thing that this corrupt cop does just sparks a riot. And in doing that, you've removed the entire racial element from the LA riots. Um, you know, the, the actual LA riots, they didn't happen just because of the Rodney King trial. They happened because of an overall sense of uh, police corruption and brutality 
and just overall racism. And this was kind of the final straw, you know. So in the game, it looks like it's showing you the same thing, but actually it's not. It's removing all the politics and all the racial element from it. So, it's a, you know, that's a kind of uh, probably a good example of how it does things. Yeah, sure. Um, something I just wanted to, to return to is is you, you kind of, um, you were talking about the kind of position of GTA as a commercial product, mm. which I think is very useful in, in kind of taking a step back from the game and, and seeing it in that position and how that kind of affects its its ideology. And um, so, you, were, you know, you were talking about how this is obviously is a, a commercial product that's trying to appeal to, to a certain audience and so on and so forth. But... Um, another another uh, part of this that's, that's linked to that, I think, is the way that GTA also uses its um, it's very like self aware of its image, and this mm-hmm. critique, this supposed critique, is like part of what it's selling. I think. Like, I, I think. I think even so, people who won't have played the, the games, for example, um, will probably be aware of Grand Theft Auto at least for it. Uh, generating various controversies in yeah. um, media, which I, I think, I think almost certainly happened accidentally the the first time. Um, uh, even I think the the first Grand Theft Auto, like before it went three D, there was a big, you know, um, ended up with politicians discussing it and, and all the, all this kind of thing. And I think after that, they became very aware of because, of course, that only helped the game. Um, yeah, and made it seem cooler and mm-hmm. more dangerous, and they became very aware of that. And I feel like if you, yeah, if you take a step back from the game and realise that they're very aware of how this this reputation of being edgy and going after everything is is kind of something they're very conscious of. I think that probably tells you something about the ideology of it. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, everything is carefully selected in the game to have a kind of coolness to it. It's, um, you know, the all the references, were, you know, to films and TV shows, they're, you know, they're cool films. They're, you know, it's The Sopranos, it's Breaking Bad or whatever, you know, things that, you know, a young audience is familiar with and is kind of known as, they're mainstream but not too mainstream, you know, they're not like the real kind of popular things. And the soundtrack is always full of, you know, kind of, well-known music which still has a certain coolness to it it's not just full-on pop music you know it's um so everything there is about that and it's very carefully selected you know and, and the, the the way the characters speak it's you know it's full of uh, obscenities and so on you know it's 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 all done with that idea in mind and then yeah you take a step back and you look at uh the what is now this huge corporation basically making this you know well, in the game world certainly you know and this is a I don't know how much money this game has made, but you know it's a hell of a lot. Um, and and then you also look at the sort of the way the corporation works. You know, I mean, there's been stuff about how they don't pay taxes. So it's a British corporation; they don't pay taxes in Britain this year. You know, legally, of course, you know, using loopholes and so on. But you know, so there was uh, also the thing of uh, when they made. Red Dead Redemption 2. I can't remember which of the executives it was off the top of my head, but he was bragging about the uh, like insane working hours that they were putting in. Yeah, so, that was a, a selling point. Yeah, yeah. And you know, in, in the, the the online version, Grand Theft Auto Online, which is the other side of this game. Um, you know, all the microtransactions. You know, the stuff it's trying to sell you with real money in the game. You know, I mean, these are all kind of uh, ethically questionable we could say at least i think you know um 
certainly not illegal or anything like that. Um, but yeah, and you know, when you look at what the game is saying about capitalism and how kind of bad this is and how it's very judgmental about all these kind of practices, uh, and yet the corporation itself is fine with doing them. And, you know, and according to their kind of the cynicism you see in the game, that's just the cynicism, that cynicism is also clearly operating in the corporation itself. And it's consistent, you know, when people say, well, how can this game criticize capital, capitalism and then you know, they're involved in tax loophole schemes or whatever. Well, it's actually very consistent if you look at it in terms of this cynicism that we've been talking about. Yeah, that's very, that's interesting. That is, that, this shows us, I think that's very useful because, I mean, we're talking about the the way that, in, in theory, Grand Theft Auto in the game shows us how cynicism operates and how, no. how it can be used. Well, then we look at the company that produces the game and you see as you said, that exact process in operation. Like we can make fun of capitalism. We are aware of the how the system works and how corrupt it is, but that's the way it is. So we can do we can do all those things. We can avoid taxes. We can and we mm-hmm. can we can and at the same time we can sell our critique of it as a product. Yeah. And they and they need they needn't even feel bad about that because that's just the way things are and what else are you going to do? You know, if you've got this product, of course you'd do that. Yeah, um, yeah. It doesn't even need much justification from it. It's not something to be embarrassed about, even. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, to to sort of uh, end off, I just wanted to ask you because um, I know from having having read uh, some of the book that you do in this game and the uh, other games you you cover, you do kind of suggest that there might be a utopian element to these games, not necessarily deliberate on their part but that, that still comes across so i could wonder if you could explain to people like um, where you you see that coming from yeah i mean i think in the book what i'm doing you know i look at these four different games and i take a little something from each one and think how well if you put all those together perhaps you would have the beginnings of a kind of um utopian idea you know i mean and one of the main themes of the book is is you know, power fantasies. Um, each game has its own power fantasy. In Grand Theft Auto, I mean, you have this kind of, I suppose it's kind of its own utopia, if, the, if you can call it that, is a kind of utopia within the dystopia. It's kind of an individualistic utopia. And I know that's a kind of contradiction in terms in a way, but that's the only kind of ideal it can imagine is making it as an individual within a corrupt system. Uh, within yeah, an individualistic yeah. system, so that's the kind of power fantasy that it creates. Um, like be Jeff Bezos, basically. Just yeah, make if you, yeah, the only way you can have a good life is to transcend, you know, what the way the ninety-nine percent live, all fighting against each other, and become one of the top one percent. Really, mm-hmm. so that's its dream. You know, whether you call that utopian or not, um, I don't know, because it's not like a better society. It's just you taking a better position in that society. Uh, so that's the kind of explicit level of, of the ideal, if you like. Um, but I think, you know, as we said, there is a, a critique of neoliberal capitalism. So that that does, even if it's not in the game, you know, if you can criticize something and, and look at it as a system and say how bad it is, that might provoke thought about, well, is there an alternative? You know, certainly the game isn't doing that. But the fact that you can look at a system and critique it does lend itself to that kind of thinking to a degree um, and make allow us to 
think of things that we might otherwise take for granted. Um, if, and if the game itself can't actually think beyond the issues. And I mean, one more point, perhaps, you know, going back to uh, Frederick Jameson, who I've already mentioned, um, I think, you know, part of his theory, uh, one point of his theory, where he talks about conspiracy films, which are, you know, when you have a, consp a film based on a conspiracy, like an enemy of the state or something like that, you know, where there's a corrupt corporation working behind the scenes in the shadows trying to uh, organize society or whatever. You know, these are attempts to imagine the system, even if they're failed attempts. And mm. the fact that they try and all they can do is allegorize the system because they can't actually perceive the system itself. But this attempt and the failure suggests the need to keep trying, to keep attempting to represent the system and critique the system and consider alternatives. And I think, you know, there's at least that little kind of um, sort of acorn of <laughs> sort of utopian uh, critique in there, I suppose, if nothing else. And I, th I think you said in the book as well that precisely because to these these games are all, if even if not consciously, are all about capitalism or neoliberalism in, in some way. And they're trying to deal with certain antagonisms within that but you i think you made the argument that precisely because they kind of fail we're kind of left with something to to kind of yeah because we're left unsatisfied we're left yeah you know, the, the antagonism's not properly resolved we kind of yeah i think that's, that is the case with all these you know i mean if in grand theft auto you might become the criminal uh you know billionaire criminal mastermind in the end but you haven't really resolved any of the issues of of this society that you've been having to put up with for the last however many hours while you've been playing through the game, you know. Um, so, you know, it identifies this problem effectively and look how individualistic and crazy this society is. But it, by the end of the game, it hasn't resolved it, really. And, and you're unlikely to be able to replicate what happened in the game in your real life. Yeah, because that's a power fantasy and that's, you know, one of the reasons you're playing the game is because it allows you to do something you actually can't do in real life. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's this, it's this sort of failed attempt, you know, and the other games do this in different ways as well that I've talked about in the book. Um, yeah, they, they perceive some kind of antagonism in society, you know, without consciously um, necessarily um, defining it. And, you know, the objective in the game seems to be to overcome that, but by the end of the game, you haven't really overcome it or you, You've temporarily overcome it, but it looks like it will have to sort of return in some way. So that can make us think about, well, how would you actually overcome this? You know, what's the actual answer? You know, what would be a more permanent or um, sort of thorough solution to this? So it, it can inspire that kind of thinking. Again, I think it helps when you put the different games together in the book and see their different angles of mm -hmm. critique and what each one, each one brings their little elements. You know, GTA brings its... The fact that it names capitalism as the system that must be overcome, that's that's its um, kind of important contribution. But the others bring bring their own contributions. Okay, cool. Um, well, yeah, as I mentioned at the beginning, if you did want to uh, read more about that, the, the book's called Ideology and the Virtual City. Um, 
you all know how to use, you all know how to use Google, so you, you, you'll be able to find it. Um, thanks very much for uh, coming on for a second time, John. Okay, yeah, yeah thanks for having me again. Um, hopefully, it's it's all worked out this time. Oh, can I just say, um, if anyone wants to follow me on Twitter, I mean, I don't use it a great deal, but if they do, it's at John Bales three, um, and also my I do have a, a website of where I do political and social theory interviews called okay. state of state of nature blog.com. So you, know, you could have a look at that. Uh, we recently interviewed Jodie Dean, for example, uh, about uh, her, cool, cool. her recent... she, Did she write a uh, communist horizon or something? Yeah, she did. Yeah. And she recent, recently wrote one called comrade, which is all about the term comrade and why that's still important and so on and the history of it. And so on. So yeah, we interviewed her about that. Okay. Uh, and we, yeah, so you can find that on the website. Yeah. Okay, cool. Check that out then. Thanks. Thank you. That is the end of my conversation with John. Thank you very much for listening. If if you've enjoyed this episode and the podcast in general, um, reviews on Apple Podcasts or or wherever you listen to this would be really helpful to to spread the word or just, you know, recommending the show to somebody that you think might like it would be cool. Tweeting about it, anything like that is, is, is really helpful. As I mentioned at the top, if you wanted to, to hear more from me, you want to get access to, to more episodes of the podcast, then patreon.com slash utopian horizons is the place to go. Um, and if you want to get in touch with me about anything, if there's just uh, stuff you'd like to say about whatever I've covered or questions you want to ask or um, whatever it is that comes to mind, then email me on utopianhorizonspod at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at utopianhorizons and tweet me there. Facebook.com slash utopianhorizons. There's a Discord, which I'm going to try to... uh, I need to kind of revamp that a bit, I think, soon. Uh, I've got some vague ideas of what to do there. If you want to join that, then you can find the link to it on my pinned tweet on Twitter. So um, yeah, that's that's the end of, of this episode. Um, I've got I've got multiple things in the work for upcoming stuff that I'm I'm excited to get to. I've been working on some of this stuff for ages, but just time uh, limits how quickly I can get through it. That's why the Patreon's so important. Um, the more support I get on there, the more time I can put to the podcast and and get to get to things uh, quicker is what I'd like to be able to do. Anyway, um, those irons are in the fire and they will be coming out of the fire. I don't know what I'm talking about now. Um, I guess the next... You know what? I, I think um, I'm planning to do um, a kind of... Uh, for, for Christmas, I'm planning to do a kind of game of the year collaboration with Trevor on uh, from No Cartridge, the video games podcast. Not strictly utopia or dystopia related, but I just, for, you know, as a Christmas episode, I just wanted to do something fun. Uh, I'm sure not all of you are, are into games. Um, I haven't quite decided whether I'm going to put that up on the main feed or the Patreon feed or why. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, we just we're talking about doing a kind of crossover on that. So I guess that'll be coming in December uh, in one form or another. I'm not sure where exactly. Um, but other than that, it'll probably be, so yeah, after that, it'll probably be January when I start, um, kicking off with stuff again. Um, but, um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, might be time for another episode as well. I don't know. Anyway, I'm rambling. So thank you very, thank you very much for listening and I'll be back soon. Cheers. Bye. (laughs) 